one of the things that we value around here is honesty. That's a good thing to value, right? And if I'm honest, every spring I fight a very specific temptation. For a number of reasons, spring is a time when we take on a certain topic here at this church that is at the core of our calling as a, as a church. And if we're going to honor the name that God gave us, we can't just overlook things like this that Jesus says. Here's a couple quotes we're going to put up for you. One of them is a quote. The first one is one that we looked at a couple times in the last series we were in. It's a quote from Jesus himself on the night of his betrayal where he prays to his father and he said, God, as you have sent me, so I'm sending them. And the second quote is from the Great Commission. These are words that are familiar to many of you. It's a great commission that Jesus gave his disciples before returning to his father. He said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The deepest longing of the human heart is to connect with our creator. And there is a clear mandate from Jesus himself to go share this good news that God invites us to spend eternity with him. Well, if you've ever heard the word evangelism before, that's the word right there. The word evangelism, it's from a Greek word that means good news. And when we do this well, when we share our faith well, we're bringing good news. When we get it right. There's a place to write this in your notes. I want to encourage you to take out your green insert and write this down. The good news is too good to keep to ourselves. That's a phrase that we used earlier in the series too. We've got good news that's too good to keep to ourselves. So here's why I'm tempted though, to not talk about this every spring. Why it's, it's tempting to avoid putting an evangelism series on our calendar, even though there's a clear mandate from Jesus himself, even though we've got really good news to share, even though Jesus promises he's going to be with us, there's a place to write this in your notes. Evangelism can be a scary word. Anyone honest enough to give me an amen to that? Evangelism can be a scary word. Uh, now that the weather is getting nicer, at least a couple times this spring or this summer, I'm sure this is going to happen. It has every year. Um, a couple times I'll, I'll look out and there will be people usually in pairs of two, dressed really nice, that aren't from our neighborhood, going to each and every door and knocking. They usually have literature with them. And if I'm honest, I try to avoid a conversation with them, even if I have to army crawl to the back of the house, right? (laughs) And when I was younger, that wasn't the case. When I was younger, I was like, bring it. You're going to try to convert me? Let's go. You know, back in the day, I used to welcome those conversations because I was naive enough to believe they actually wanted to have a conversation. And that I was naive enough to believe that we could have a real talk about truth and how do you discern what is true? Instead, at least this is my experience, just speaking from my experience, every time I've been in one of these conversations, I've been in a lot of them, every time... Um, my conversations, I'm I'm having a conversation with someone who doesn't know me. These people are usually associated with a group that I'm predisposed against. They usually reference sources that I don't find credible. They usually don't care about what I have to say. And they don't follow up when I invite them to fact check their sources. 
It usually feels more like they're pushing something on me than actually sharing something with me. And I usually um, have no way of knowing whether or not this is actually working for them, what, what they're talking about. Now, I bet you can see where I'm going. With a show of hands, how many of you know that there are people that feel the exact same way about Christian evangelists? Right? Exact. We could go right down that list. This person doesn't know me. This person is associated with a group that I am predisposed against. This, they're referencing the Bible, which I don't agree with. Boom, 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 boom. Right? Now, how many of you just raised your hands would also raise your hands to this? How many of you don't want to do to others what you don't want done to you? Right? So does it make sense why... Little anxiety talking about this, you know, the pressing into this word evangelism. I want to show you something. If we go to the next slide, I've been referencing several times because I'm so excited. This summer, we're going to be talking about anxiety and we want that to be such a helpful, helpful series. And before that, we're going to be talking about this with our our young people. How do we come around these young people and really help them? Well, this anxiety series, I'm doing a lot of pre-reading because I want it to be helpful for the series and doing talks and discussions with different people. Well, anxiety, no surprises here. The, the, it often feelings of anxiety often surface when we feel safety. Is it when, we're, when we feel we're at risk, either socially or physically, right? And here's something I came across from, from a person who specializes in the area. They said, here are three anxiety-producing assumptions. Number one, I must be 100% certain. Number two, I must not make mistakes. Number three, I'm responsible for everyone else's happiness and safety. It, these three things will stress you out if you're threatened in one of these areas. And... Which of these three anxiety-producing assumptions come into play when the word evangelism comes up? All of them. If you're going to share your faith with somebody else, can you be 100% certain how they're going to react? No. Unless you're 100% certain that it's going to be negative. You probably know some of those folks, right? If we share our faith with others, can we be 100% certain that we're not going to make a mistake? No. And if we share our faith with others, can we be 100% certain that people won't feel awkward or uncomfortable or offended? No. No wonder we got anxiety about evangelism. You see why it'd be a whole lot easier to just jump to talking about anxiety? Well, if we're going to be faithful to the Christian faith, there's going to be times when we're going to be stretched. And this is one of those. But before the anxiety comes up, I want to share some good news about sharing the good news. Evangelism need not be something we fear. It need not be something we fear. What we're going to do is we're going to try to spend the next several weeks discussing how do we foster safe places, safe spaces where we have natural conversations, just real conversations. That's what we're going to focus on. How do we do that? There's a place to write this in your notes. How do we help more people become more like Christ in authentic community? The series we were just in was a what series. What's our mission as a church? It's our mission. Help more people become more like Christ in authentic community. This is a a how. How? How do we do that well? How do we do it in a way where it's not, walls aren't coming up, anxiety's not coming up, but rather we're, we're just fostering real conversations about things that are real in our lives. How do we do this well? How do we bring walls down rather than cause people to put walls up? And I'm really excited about this framework. The framework that we're going to be using comes to us from our, our covenant denomination. 
really a big fan. We just had our conference this weekend from our Northwest Conference, our annual meeting of our Northwest Conference with the Covenant. We're a part of something pretty special. The Covenant's encouraging all of our churches. They're not mandating any of this. They couldn't. (laughs) They couldn't. I'll just say it that way. They're not mandating any of this, but they are encouraging us to rethink, rethink how we share our faith. And instead of having some script that someone else wrote, and of how we convert other people. What they're trying to encourage us to do is say, how do you sincerely bless those around you? I love it. Well, each week in the series, if you want to open up your bullet and you're going to find an insert that says bless, each week in this series, you're going to have a different insert that comes in. And these were actually published right by the covenant. And they have this acronym bless that's going to help us remember some of these principles. And next week, we're going to talk about listening. How many of you with a show of hands would say that our world would be a much better place if we listened more. We're pro-listening. I love it. Listening. Next week after that, we're going to talk about eating together. Who is (laughs) pro-food? And how many of you know, right? There's a reason why we get together around food. food. Food fosters often great conversations. The week after that, we're going to talk about serving. With a show of hands, how many of you are more open to listening to people who you know they really care about you? Because they've demonstrated, right? And then I love this. Sharing our story comes last. And I love that they say share your story rather than our script. I love that. That as, as the, the, the right opportunities open up to just have a real conversation about who you are and who they are and to just share. I, I love that. I'm honored to be a part of a family of churches that has a heart to lead with actions rather than words. And when we do use words, to use our own words and share our own stories. As I was preparing for today, I read a study that was done on two teams of Christian missionaries that felt called to Thailand. One team set out and said, we are going to convert people. And the other team said, we're going to go and bless people. And there's no surprises that team bless did a much better job of blessing people. When team one was finished, there were tangible things that you could point to that they had done to improve people's lives. What did surprise people, though, is the fact that the blessers saw more than 50 times more people say, I want to follow Jesus, than the converters. The blessers had more people by a factor of 50 say, I was going this way, but because of what I see in you, I want to go that way you're going, following Jesus, by a factor of 50. You know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we are so glad you're here. In fact, this series might actually be more helpful to you than it is to the rest of us, because hopefully you're going to see that we are not trying to get people to convert to an empty religion. We are not trying to manipulate or coerce or any of these things. What we want to do is we want to try to say, here is something very, very real that we found And we want to just have a conversation about that because it's too good to keep to ourselves. And how do we do that in a way that honors you and your worldview and and where we can possibly learn some things too? How do we do that well? That's what we want to be about. I was trying to think of an illustration to to frame this. And and the one that came to mind was a few months ago when some friends invited us to a wild game. And they said, here's the thing. If you go with us, it's probably going to spoil you from any other game that you go to. So that's the warning, they said. 
And we said, well, spoil us. Let's go. And so they picked us up. And one of the ways they spoiled us, they drove us there. And as a country boy who never had to look for parking spaces, you know, growing up, to, to not have to wrestle with the parking. And they went to their favorite parking spot. And then I'd been in the XL several times before, but never to these places. They took us to this tunnel that brought them right into this amazing room where there was this all-you-could-eat buffet, all included in their ticket price. Yeah, amazing. And then you step out of this door right down to the glass, and we were only like 10 steps down to our seats right there behind the goalie. They spoiled us from all other games. It was amazing. And the Wild even won. That was just (laughs) weird. It was just crazy. For a lot of us in this room, That's our experience with Christianity. And I'm not talking health and wealth here that, oh, we said yes to Jesus and all money started pouring in and tickets and stuff. That's not it. In fact, what many of us have experienced is so real, we would gladly hand over anything. Our season tickets, the keys to our house, our car, because because we've connected with something so real and so lasting and so eternal that it frames everything else. And it's changed our lives and it's changing our lives and it's, it's made our relationships better and, and we, we want to share that with others. So what we're going to try to do as best we can in the next several weeks is how do we do that well? Again, how do we do that in a respectful way, an honoring way? A way that doesn't seem pushy but just comes across like that. Hey, there's this experience I had. I would love for you to experience it too. Well, it all begins with this and I encourage you to write this in your notes. Every or effective, effective good news sharing begins with what? Begins with what? Prayer. Begins with prayer. Effective good news sharing begins with prayer. And I believe good messages start with that too. So I try to pray each week and say, God, what do you want to say? What verses should we look at? And, and I felt uh, that I was drawn to, I should say, the book of Joshua. And so that's where we're going to start here today. As the book of Joshua opens, God gave this man named Joshua a very specific mission. And it would have been a scary mission to say yes to because he was asked to follow in the footsteps of Moses. He was given Moses' job. Man, if you ever follow in the footsteps of somebody, that is a, those are tough shoes to step into, right? And so Joshua had been chosen to lead a people who even Moses had a hard time leaving, leading, right? So he's got this job, and not only is he supposed to lead these stiff-necked people, he's supposed to lead them to war. That was his job. In this account, we find that God goes before Joshua and the people. Here's how it opens. If you have your Bible with you, please open with me to Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one home free today. Each and every week, we we keep a stack of them there. We'd encourage you to, to bring one home. All right, and if you ever want to have a question, a conversation, an honest conversation where we're both listening to one another about why do we put so much stock in this? How did we get it? Where, where does it come from? Why, why do we believe that this can be fact-checked? I would love to have that conversation. Just, just let us know. All right, Joshua 1.9 says this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. And courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. Where? Wherever you go. Everywhere. Wherever you go. The Lord your God is with you. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus promised to be with us. Always. 
God had promised to be with his people. And there's a place to write this down in your notes. Prayer allows us to access insight and power beyond our limits. That's an invitation from God. He's going to be with us wherever he goes. And he allows us to access insight and power that is beyond our limits. In fact, one of my mentors used to remind me, we can't live the Christian life. Christ must live it through us. And Christ's power isn't limited to forgiveness of sins, which often we sometimes stop there. The same spirit that was in Christ is in us. And just as Jesus knew things that nobody else could know, Jesus was able to do things no one else could do, that same spirit, that same insight, that same power is available to us. And when it comes to sharing our faith, we're going to need it, aren't we? When it comes to sharing our faith, we're going to need that kind of insight and that kind of power because we are going to face walls that are too big to overcome on our own. When Joshua, when Joshua and his people entered the land that God had given them, they encountered fortified cities. And I want to encourage you to press into this metaphor, this metaphor of walls. Think about if you're charging a wall, right? You're charging a fortified city. That's a scary thing, right? Because they are an advantage and you're vulnerable. So if a wall goes up, that's just a tough place to go to walk into that when you know there's a wall up. And if you're on the other side of the wall, that's not a fun place to be either because you have people that are attacking you and they're trying to find weaknesses in your defenses. So this is a not good place for anybody to be. How in the world are you going to have a good conversation with someone when you're on the defense and you know they're attacking you, trying to break in, or when you're trying to approach someone and they're, you see, this is not set up for success. Walls have to come down. Well, when we pray, we can access insight and power beyond our limits to find common ground, to find hope, to to have a real conversation. And we see this if we scroll ahead in Joshua. It's just fascinating. In your ECC mail this week, I encourage you, if you had time, to look at Joshua 1 through 10. You You see this playing out. All through there. In chapter 2, we see that God extends favor through unlikely sources. In chapter 3, God literally parts waters. And then there's this encounter. In Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. I want to encourage you to open up your Bible if you have it to this one. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. It says this in verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? On the eve of battle, Joshua was scouting a fortified city named Jericho. And this is a real place, real place. One of the things that was just fascinating as I was reading a little bit more about Jericho is that they know where Jericho was and they've been researching it since about 1900. They've been excavating it. it. The ruins were built on top of ruins, on top of ruins, the earliest ruins, 9,000 BC. This is the earliest city that we know of on the planet. Jericho, real place. It's also the lowest lying city on the planet. It sits... 750 feet below sea level. This is significant because Jericho guarded two important entrances to the hill country. You can't go around this. And even if you could, even if you went around it, you would have left a dangerous, strategically located, and well-armed enemy at your back, which is not a good thing. So it makes sense 
Joshua on the eve of battle, he's going to personally go and take a look at this. And as he goes out, he realizes he's not alone. He noticed there was a man with a drawn sword. And I can picture Joshua reaching for his own sword as he asks the stranger, he says, are you for us or are you for them? And the mysterious stranger answers this way. He says, no. (laughs) And there was more to it than that. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped and he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant servant and the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is what? Remember that the place you're standing is holy and Joshua did so. If you read through ancient Near Eastern literature, which I'm sure all of you do in your spare time, you'll find that divine visitations on the eve of a battle are not common. This is not something that other people were just putting in all their literature back in that time at that place. Oracles were common, not this, not a physical visit. So who is this mysterious figure? There are those who believe, some, that the figure was an angel. In Numbers 22, a figure with a drawn sword blocks the path of a man named Balaam and his donkey. And the scripture identifies that figure as an angel. David sees a figure with a drawn sword, 1 Chronicles 21. The scripture identifies that figure as an angel too. And in both of those cases, as is the case here with Joshua, Balaam and David fell on their faces. So was it an angel? Maybe. Because there's also this. When Joshua refers to the figure as my Lord, he uses the same word that's used in Joshua 3.11 to refer to God. And as a general rule, angels don't allow people to worship them. So there are those who believe that Joshua encountered God in human form. There's a theological term for that called theophany. So was it God? Maybe. But it could also be a Christophany. That's a real word. A Christophany is an appearance of Christ before he came as a baby. And as evidence, some scholars would point to verses like Isaiah 9, 6, which is a prophecy that we quote at Christmas time regarding the Prince of Peace. The word that we translate as Prince there is the same word that we translate as Commander here. So we could just as easily say the Commander of Peace at Christmas time as we would say the Prince of the Army of the Lord here. So was it Christ? We don't know. And one of the things that drives a lot of people nuts about Christians is we actually argue about this stuff. It was an angel. No, it was God. No, it was Christ. And we argue about things that we can't know for sure. But here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. Joshua was not the commander of the Lord's army. And we forget that. And we get in trouble when we forget that. Joshua wasn't the commander of the Lord's army. God had gone before them. And if we had time to keep reading, we would see that this figure revealed a strategy to bring down the walls. As was the case with his predecessor, Moses, Joshua found himself on holy ground. I'm going to repeat that. As was the case with his predecessor, Moses, Joshua found himself on holy ground. When God commissions us, he goes before us. When God commissions us, he goes before us. And wherever God is, is holy 
ground. And on that holy ground, we're invited to access his insight and his power. That could be a game changer for us, couldn't it? If we recognize every place that we are called to go is holy ground. God's already there. And it's not up to us to do the work. We try to be able to find out, God, what are you doing? And how do I become part of that? Game changer. Game changer. Again, I want to encourage you, as I have like 20 times so far, to, to scan through those first chapters of Joshua, either alone as or a family or, or with your small church, and look at what happened when God's people remembered that and when they forgot that. Because you've got example that's like flip-flopping. Remembered, good. Forgot, bad. It's just, you see them all the way through there. Fresh off his encounter with a sword-wielding stranger, Joshua came away with a God-breathed plan, and it brought the walls down. But right after that, right after that, Joshua's people experienced a humiliating defeat against a less intimidating foe. Why? Because they forgot we're on holy ground. Holy ground. And this time, Joshua, when he fell on his face, it was not in worship. It was out of fear. It was out of desperation. We're done for. That's what it was about. And God said this, Joshua 7, Verse 10, God says, get up, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Someone had failed to honor God as the holy God he is. And that affected everybody else. There's a series that we need to do on that sometime. When we forget that God is a holy God, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody else. God revealed in this situation, how to make things right and went before them again. But it wasn't long before the people reverted to walking by sight instead of faith. And in chapter 9, the people get deceived again. They make a big mistake. Here's this phrase that just sends chills into my bones. Joshua 9, 14, they did not inquire of the Lord. That sends chills in my bones because I forget all the time that. To inquire of the Lord. And when it comes to sharing our faith well, in my experience, there's often this very fine line that we need God's help with because you come on too strong, walls go up, as they should. As they should, if you're coming on too strong. But we can also be so afraid of offending anybody that we can end up affirming things that Jesus himself put boundaries around. And that's not good either. When we inquire of the Lord, we access insight and power beyond our own. And I'd like to close with three quick, real examples of where people began with prayer and good things happened. The first is an example of what we call divine appointments, where God sets all this stuff up without us knowing, and we just are in the right place in the right time, and we have an ear towards heaven, and God whispers something, and we respond. And this whole deal that we never could have set up unfolds. Here's that example. In the same book that I, where I came across a study of the two Thailand mission teams, the author told this true story of a man named Dean who works at Michigan State. One day, someone canceled an appointment with Dean, so Dean did this crazy thing. He inquired of the Lord. He said, I got a little time here. God, what should I do with it? And as he was doing that, a name popped into his head, Janice. And he, Janice is this person who had never been to church, 
but she had been to a small group that some Christians had hosted on campus. So Dean called her up and said, hey, can I meet you for, for coffee? And I want to I talk to you about something. And here's what happened in the, the author's words. When they met, he told her, Janice, I was praying and your name came to mind. And I felt like I was supposed to share with you how you can become a follower of Jesus. And she starts crying. And he's like, oh no, oh no. He said, okay, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have just blurted that out. I'm not being very sensitive. But then she says, that's not it. I just can't believe you're here. Last night, I went to my small group and they got to talking about what it means to be a Christian and I couldn't stop thinking about it. All night, I couldn't sleep. I didn't know what to do. So I prayed this morning asking God to bring someone to me today who could tell me how to become a Christian. And she smiled and said, here you are. I can hardly believe it. That would be a fun conversation, wouldn't it? On both sides of the table. To be on the side of the table if I prayed, all right, I'm going to try this. This is crazy, but I'll do it. Wait, that was from God. No way. And then on the other side of the table, how do you know this? It's just so different than the coerced, forced stuff, right? That would be a fun conversation. So there's one example, divine appointments. And it all began what? With prayer. began with prayer. The more you pray and listen, the more you're going to find yourself in those conversations. All right. The second example I want to give you is an example of something that didn't happen right away. It was something that began with prayer, but it took time to unfold. I recently had the honor of praying with one of our teens. So glad you're here today, Aiden, as he surrendered his life to Christ. That moment began with prayers that went up 10 years ago. And probably longer from other people, right? But at least from my perspective. When we launched this church in 2007, I was praying like crazy that God would open up conversations, good ones, for people who could find a home in a place like this that God was going to create. So um, that prayer led to a conversation at a neighbor's backyard barbecue about 10 years ago that eventually led to the conversation that I had with Aiden 10 years later right here in this room. Conversation about what does it mean to really surrender your life to God? which is something that he wanted to do. Never stop praying. Never stop praying. At this, the conference that I referenced earlier, the um, annual meeting of our denomination, I'm going to be going on what's called ministry renewal leave in, uh, actually next week, starting next week. And my focal point is going to be how can, I, how can I both be a great pastor and a great dad? Because I, I refuse to believe that you have to choose one or the other, right? And so I'm asking all of these pastors who I really respect. I was asking the keynote speakers, these authors, all this kind of stuff. Tell me, tell me, what, what's at the top of your list? What's best practices for you? Person after person kept saying prayer. And they were also honest enough to say, I've got a kid of my own who was not walking with the Lord for years and years and years and years and years. Some of them still aren't. They said, never give up. Never give up. It might be 10 years, 20 years. Never give up. If you're a grandparent, if you're an uncle, if you're an auntie, if you're a brother, if you're a sister, never give up. It begins with prayer, but sometimes there's all kinds of things that need to happen. Never give up. Never give up. Well, the last story I want to share with you is something that happened just this week. Just this week. 
many of you know I serve on the board of Emmanuel Children's Home in Juarez, and when the, when the texts usually start coming, it's rarely good news. There's always things down there that are just hard, 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 hard. Well, this situation, this weekend, as my emails or my texts are lighting up, it was finances. Finances are really tight to the point where they're behind on taxes, significantly behind on taxes, to the point where the government was going to send somebody on Monday to collect the taxes, which they didn't have money for. So this is not going to end well. They don't have the money, and so you don't have the money, so then you get fined, so you're even in worse shape. So they knew this is not good. So they said, hey, board, can you be praying for us? And then what they did is they got the kids and the staff together, and they prayed and worshipped for four hours. Four hours. Prayed and worshipped. It began with prayer. Here's what happened. So the official comes, shows up at the home, and they start having the conversation. And out of nowhere, man having the conversation starts opening up his life. He starts sharing about how his life is a mess and all the things that are going on. And they say, well, can we pray for you? And he says, yes, please, would you? And so they're praying for this man. They're blessing this man. They're caring for this man. He never expected that. They never, well, Adam expected something was going to happen. So they're praying for this guy. He gets to the end. And, and he just is blessed. He has hope now going back home. So God used this really scary situation to bless this official. And it gets better than that. Because what do you think the official did? He said, we can talk about the taxes later. We'll, come, we'll circle back to that at another time. And bought them some much needed time. Oh, and it gets better than that too. I get a text later that says, oh, a few hours after that conversation, somebody out of the blue that didn't know all this was happening said, you know, our business was just blessed. We had some extra funds come in this month and we're going to write you this check. It was a six-figure check. <laughs> wow. What did it begin with? Prayer. Now, does that mean that we just sit back? Does that mean that we're like, okay, God... It's all you. I'm just going to sit back. No, the board, we got together and we were on a long conference call. Who here loves long conference calls? No one loves long conference So we're, we're like, okay, strategize. What are we going to do? What are our next steps? You, that's right. You, 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 you join God in his work, but it's whose work? His. We were on holy ground and that changes everything. I am so excited to begin this series that's going to help us learn how do we bless rather than bludgeon people with the good news. And I'm excited to press into a series where we're not going to view other people as projects. Never view someone else as a project. Who's the project? We are the projects. We are the people who God has chosen to save by amazing grace. And all we got, we don't have superior world, we don't have superior wisdom. We don't have superior logic. What we do have is a God who cares enough to change us. And we can tell other people about that. But let's do it in a good and God-honoring way. It all begins with prayer. So as the worship band comes forward to seal this time with a song, I want to encourage you to do two things. The first is the last blank on your green sheet is this. Who are you praying for? Let's not make this theoretical. Yeah, prayer is a good thing. Who are you praying for? And then I want to encourage you on this insert, this blessed insert. It's really cool. They have these two tear-offs right here. 
I want to encourage you to take time. If some names instantly come to mind, write them down of people that you're going to pray for and see what God does with that. And then the other one we would encourage you, we pray for you every Tuesday. We, we gather and we pray for you as a staff. We would encourage you, if you want, you can use as much your little description as you want for who those people are. Put that in the black mailbox and we will pray. We will join you in praying for those folks. What I'm going to be doing this week is I'm going to actually be praying about who I should pray about. So I'm going to maybe even go that direction. We just want this to be helpful. And if you lose this sheet, we'll have them out in the Connection Center all through this series. All right, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that this word that can be so scary is only scary when we don't understand what you're asking of us. You're inviting us to share good news with people. Father, we pray that you would teach us how we do that in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.